0: And welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters, and joining me from Charlotte, where racing is soon to commence, is Josh Roller. We've got a huge show in store for you guys today. I'm excited to talk about my feature 500, and I bet Josh was really excited to talk about some of the news that broke recently. There's a lot of it to cover. And I mean, there's a lot of breaking news to cover. So let's get the housekeeping out of the way, real quick. Be sure to follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. Uh, I'm located at R Peters 33. That's R P E E T E R S, and then 33. Three. Uh, Josh is located at Roller underscore zero 01. That's R O L L E R underscore zero 01. And then the show. You could find us about the show itself. Learn all about the show. Find out some fun facts. Find out when the new podcast is dropping. Find out when we're recording. Even you could follow us at Robin Rollersville, just like it sounds. R O B A N R O L L E R. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with Rollers racing report. Josh, go ahead and jump right into it and tell us about some of the breaking news from this week.
1: Yeah, so let's go ahead and get all, uh, get the maybe the big one out of the way here. Uh, Sebastian Vettel will not return to Ferrari following the 2020 season. Ferrari confirmed on Tuesday that they were not able to reach an agreement with the four-time world champion. Uh we are all well aware that Lewis Hamilton has been rumored to be going to Ferrari but Hamilton and Mercedes have insisted that he will remain in a Silver Arrow for the 2021 World Championship. Carlos Sainz and Daniel Ricciardo are the other top candidates to replace Vettel at Ferrari. So we'll see who uh who I ends up joining McLaren there. Uh the next piece, IndyCar and Texas Motor Speedway have confirmed that uh June 6 will be the start of the 2020 NTT IndyCar series. After a three-month delay, the Genesis 300 will go green at 845 Eastern on NBCSN. Uh, Practice and qualifying will both take place uh, on on June 6th, the same day as the race, which has resulted in the race being reduced from the regular, normal, uh, 248 laps down to 200 laps. Uh, The scheduled NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series race that was supposed to take place on that Friday will no longer be held on that weekend. Uh, IndyCar officials also noted that the rest of the schedule, uh, revised schedule released in early April, is on course to take place. So that is good news. Okay. Yeah. Other breaking news: uh, NASCAR uh, announced that Sonoma Raceway, Chicago Land Speedway, and Richmond Raceway have all lost a day as a result of Darlington Raceway and Chicago Motor Speedway, or excuse me, Charlotte Motor Speedway gaining additional races as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, Sonoma and Chicagoland have only one date and therefore will not be visited by NASCAR in 2020. Richmond Raceway currently still holds its fall date in the playoffs. Sonoma and Chicagoland are near hotspots for the COVID-19 pandemic, so it's unclear when events of this size will be able to re return and commence in those areas. So it was just easier to, eh, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and cancel them for this year. Um, so sticking with a little bit of Chicagoland news, if you haven't seen by now, the future Chicago Chicagoland is in question. Sadly, Chicagoland was hit hard with staff reductions this past week. And Jerry Jordan and Adam Stern kept us both up to date with developments about Chicagoland and how uh, is a track on a list of tracks for possible redevelopment or repurposing with developer Hillwood, um, who NASCAR partnered with in March. Um, now, this can mean a number of things, uh, but uh, as we've seen the past few days, a number of suggestions and whatnot, what it means, and people have chimed in. Um, but a leaked document displayed lines uh, through the Speedway's grounds, but a city. A Gillette official said that any plans would include the track remaining uh, and only repurposing parts of the ground surrounding the track. Excess parking has been the term thrown around. Auto Club Speedway has also been listed on a location of uh, redevelopment and repurposing by Hillwood, but no further information about any particular plans of that track are known at this time. Um, Rob and I will discuss a little bit of this later in the show. Uh, During Saturdays, North Wilkesboro's virtual North Wilkesboro race uh, my joy dropped that I was planning on releasing, uh, uh, an 87 Chevrolet Monte Carlo and an 87 Ford Thunderbird, along with the track itself to the general public on June 2nd, but it was in high demand folks. So on Sunday, iRacing said, Hey, North Wilkesboro is dropping tomorrow, Monday, May 11th. Watch out. And it did. And there was, a, there was already races. I've seen plenty of people already posting. Hey, I'm having a fun time on this track, which, uh, was pretty cool, and we'll talk about that race.
0: How many yeah. people do you think have spent their stimulus checks on racing?
1: Oh, yes. I know.
0: Think a could. lot of people, a lot of race fans probably, right?
1: Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I if, mean, if they don't need it to
0: survive, like if they had got a job or something, let's say, and it's just like extra money, I, I guarantee you probably spent it on that. Yeah. Someone had to. Someone and, and it hasn't been me yet. Yet. I say that yet. It will be soon. I've, I've just been moved. Now that I've, I'm all settled in. I'm starting to think about maybe uh, giving iRacing a shot because I want to try this North North Wilkesboro because I've raced it uh, in, in our 2003, but I don't know how accurate that that version is. So yeah. I'd like to I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see what iRacing uh, has. I'd like, like like to actually experience the the phenomenon of going uphill, which is what uh, North Wilkesboro
1: is famous for. Yes, I know. I w- I kind of can't wait to get my hands on the track and and race it itself at some point. Um. So here's an interesting piece of news. Didn't expect this, but I'm happy it did. uh NASCAR has also announced that uh NASCAR Xfinity and Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series events with no qualifying, uh each series will have a, their fields expanded to 40 entries. Uh no post entry, uh uh no no entries will be allowed after the uh entry deadline. NASCAR stated that this move is to help secure the future for both divisions and new and small teams uh, who have committed money and operations to those uh, individual series. Uh, The current max field for the XFINITY series is 36 cars, the 36th position receiving one point. When the field is expanded, 37th through 40th will receive one championship point. The current max field for the truck series is 32, uh, with the 32nd position receiving five championship points. In the expanded field, 33rd through 40th will all receive five championship points, so it won't you know, won't affect what your expected championship outlook would be like, essentially, is what this move is for. Um, the uh, The last time that the Xfinity Series had a max field of 40 cars was in 2018. And believe it or not, the Truck Series has raced 40 trucks in a single race before. I believe this is a correction on a previous... Uh, podcast made by myself i didn't think i i think i said the cap or the most oh. i ever seen was like 38 or something like that yeah. so I'm, I'm also correcting myself on here i can't remember which podcast it was but here's also a slide correction also trivia for you at that cocktail party you'll be going to in a few weeks um really trucks Where? After- <laughs> in the truck series at phoenix in 1995 las vegas in 1996 1997 and 1998 and then new hampshire in 1997 But also, no truck race has ever had more than 40 trucks. So we'll be tying a record uh, if it happens this year. Uh, Now that we have a clear picture on how the broadcasts uh, will be going forward, Fox will only have a single pit road reporter at Darlington. That will be Regan Smith. They will also be using more drones during the race because they can fly them more, uh, where fans are usually at. I stay away from fans. You know, malfunction of a drone hits a fan. That's bad news. But here you don't have fans to worry about. Just for fun. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. But hey, they're going to fly them. I'm kind of interested to see what some of these angles will look like. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really anxious about that. Um, Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy will not be at the track. They will be calling the race from uh, Fox Charlotte Studios, and uh, it's also expected that Fox will be broadcasting the next twelve races, uh, which is kind of interesting. I tweeted this out. Uh, I remember DW uh, Daryl Waltrip doing a. Q and a and someone asked what's a race you'd love to call one day. And he said, the brickyard and there is the possibility exists that Fox could be broadcasting Indianapolis. Now that's not That's just kind of like, you know, kind of, uh, let's look at the picture here of, of the current state of the States and Indiana in, Indian, in right. opening and will be almost completely open by the time it's supposed to be there. So, I would love to see if, – if Fox is there, I'd love to see DW make some sort of appearance on the broadcast to say he called should. the race.
0: I think he should. I think if there's one race for DW to come out of retirement, I'd like big be because it's, it's kind of like it's – it's, it's quite honestly a race that they've never – DW has never broadcast before. Yeah, um, It's a race that Mike Joy's never broadcast before, and then it's a race that Jeff Gordon has won uh, five times. So I think about it, I and mean, I think you know, you've got two guys who've always wanted to b- broadcast that race. I don't know about Mike Joy. I assume he's probably wanted to. Oh, I'm sure. Um, uh, but I. But if Daryl Waltrip wants to, I think that Daryl Waltrip should. don't know if it's going to happen. But, it. I mean, if it does, Fox should uh, go ahead and give give some kind of – give Bill Bone to a, a DW and, let, and get the band back together for a little bit.
1: I mean, even if it's just like a five-minute like appearance – Via you know a, a, a Skype or something, just to say this to let him call like five laps. I, I, I hope oh, that would we'll give enough left. of a check a check off the off of the bucket list for him.
2: One need- uh, yeah, couple I need- more pieces
1: of uh, news here. Uh, NASCAR also announced on Tuesday that uh, how the starting lineup and pit stall selections will be decided for races with no qualifying. Uh, basically, the upcoming seven races. Uh, for the sake of time, we're just going to review the Cup race at Darlington on Sunday today and we'll discuss future races and future podcasts. So for Sunday's Darlington 400, pit stall selection will be set by charter team owner points followed by open team owner points. Pit stalls will be picked in advance, and the pit boxes will be in stalls uh, when the teams arrive. The starting lineup will be decided in four groups. So as follows, positions 1 through 12 will uh, be random draw from charter teams in those positions. And the same will be said for Group 2, which will be 13th through 24th. And uh, the third group, positions 25th through 36th. And open teams, uh, in the order of owner's points, uh, will set the positions 37th through 40th. That's how the Darlington 400's pit stop selections will be selected and uh, the starting lineup will be set. Now the last piece here, Fox Sports drew... 688,000 viewers for Saturday's virtual race at North Wilkesboro Speedway. It was the lowest viewership for the 7E NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series events. Factors that may have contributed to its low ratings could have been that uh, the day and time change, re, you know, that we've been running these on Sunday at 1, this time it was Saturday at 3. You know, that, that could have posed a, you know, Difficulty for people because parts of the country were reopening and have reopened. And people may have said, you know what? I want to go outside. I may even want to go to a restaurant. <laughs> so, you know, you could have had that to deal with. And uh, and also, active drivers from Hendrick Motorsports and Team Penske did not participate in the event, citing concentration on the upcoming races at Darlington Raceway. So, I do but
0: there's still nothing to watch on TV on a Saturday, so I really don't know how the
1: ratings were that low. Exactly. on
0: TV. I mean, do you really want to watch a bunch of cable edited movies? Because that's all that's on on Saturday. Seriously. Look at yeah. the TV guide on a Saturday. It's just a bunch of movies edited for cable.
1: Like that's yep. it. <laughs> yeah, I, it was definitely interesting on that part when you look at the drivers. Who, I mean, Jimmy Johnson, I think's got a got has a very silent fan base. Chase Elliott's the most popular driver there. William Byron, I think, has got a fair fan base, and then Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, and Brad Kazoski all have their fan base. So that was a pretty big chunk of fans. So you're like, hey, my driver's not racing. I'm not going to watch the race. But you're ha- cheering for Jeff
2: Gordon.
1: Well, you could have been cheering for Jeff Gordon, sure, but I'm saying that. I mean, some of these fans may not know who Jeff Gordon is.
2: Really,
1: I'm. I'm just really? saying. I'm just saying, if if they're like, "Hey, who's this guy in these Napa commercials?" and there was a NASCAR fan before, uh, let's think about it. It's possible.
0: And there's people out there who don't know at least of Jeff Gordon.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure.
0: But then, why would they be watching a, a, a race if they don't know of Jeff Gordon? I feel like I feel like if you have as much motivation, if you have the motivation to watch an e race at North Wilkesboro, Grove you probably know who Jeff Gordon is, or at least have heard
1: of him. I'm just saying there's a potential. Ah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not saying, I mean, I would think you know who you know, but I'm sure there are, because he was the only Hendrick guy there. Yeah, know, I, saw, I mean, know, I'm just saying, his, say, right? re- think of reasons why you wouldn't, but I was shocked at the numbers. I was well, shocked. I was shocked, too.
0: I was shocked, too. I mean, those were, I mean, considering how
1: many, you know, we were talking last week, you know, how many people, more people were watching the NASCAR race than the IndyCar race, as
0: soon as that NASCAR race got into that IndyCar race's time I mean, it started pulling the same amount of viewers as an IndyCar race. So now, as the IndyCar races. So I'm kind of starting to see, like, you know, okay, well, I guess (laughs) we're just uh, Saturday at 3 o'clock. This is a terrible time to put a race on for now. So that makes me worry about the Xfinity Series. Like, why are they putting those races on Saturday at 3 o'clock if apparently nobody's watching TV at that time?
1: I just think 3 o'clock, anything starting at Eastern, unless you're football Anything starting at three o'clock Eastern is a bad time.
0: Even then, football they should have had it. Hard at, hard they should
1: have had it at one o'clock on Saturday at the very least.
2: Yeah, and
1: then that. and you know if they had because we all know why they didn't race on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday yeah. because it was Mother's Day. By the way, happy belated Mother's Day to everyone out there, including my mom who's in Indiana. Who's oh, I'm sorry God. I wasn't there for your uh, for Mother's Day this year. It's okay. So, I social-
0: it's called my mom instead
1: yeah, very, very true. I, I took social distancing to the extreme. So with oh, that, yeah. that that that's everything for Rollers Racing Report this week. That was a lot of information to digest. I'll let that we would let that marinate with you for a few minutes, but it's time for us to move on to the next segment. Rob, tell us what it is. Yeah, we're
0: going to jump into the featured paint scheme of the week, uh, and this is gonna, the topic for today is going to be our favorite all time NASCAR All Star Race paint scheme. I feel like I kinda of cheated my way through this. But I still love it and I don't care what anybody says. But Josh, I wanna hear about the door featured paint scheme because I think yours is a really good one. Personally, I think yours is one of the best. Um and, and, and I really have no negative things to say about it. All I know is I wanna I wanna hear you say you know, it.
1: Alright, so yeah, I'm know. I'm pulling one out of the hat that you probably wouldn't expect when you look at the paint schemes out there. Uh, that have been racing the special All Star race paint schemes, and none of the ones do you remember? Uh, my favorite NASCAR All Star race paint scheme is Mark Martin's 2011 number 25 Farmers Insurance Tim Richmond tribute Chevrolet. Uh, we all know that Mark Martin was regularly driving the five car for Hendrick Motorsports, but in 2011 for the All Star race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, Jimmy Johnson drove the number five in a special promotion for Lowe's, uh, who wanted to promote. Uh, It's new 5% discount for customers when they use the Lowe's consumer credit card. That meant Mark Martin had to drive another number, and 25 was selected. Uh, With Farmer's Insurance on the hood, the decision was made to throw back to 1986 uh, with the 25 style, just like it was that year when Tim Richmond drove it. Um, uh, Remember, the car was sponsored by Folgers. All right, in a year where if he had performed like he did the second half, he might have won that championship. If he had performed as good as he did the second half of the season all year long, just saying that out there. Sorry, Dale Earnhardt fans. Um, and then twenty five was styled like it It was base red. It was, I mean, it's not fancy, but it's appealing to people who like Tim Richmond in, in that era uh, as well. Unfortunately for Mark, in the 25 team, in the final stage of the race, he received damage from contact from Jimmy Johnson, ironically, uh, after uh, Jimmy Johnson had, had reacted when Kurt Busch hit the wall and thought he was going to come back down, and Jimmy Johnson moved down and damaged the right front of Mark Martin's car, and it was the final stage, seven laps to go. They called it quits. They said, we're not going to win this race. We're already running in the back. So um, disappointing day there for the 25 team. I believe they finished 19th. I didn't write it down here, but I think they finished third to last when there's twenty one cars in that race. So unfortunately not the best showing for the twenty five Tim Richmond tribute, but that's my favorite because I'm a I'm I'm a Tim Richmond fan.
2: Hey, I get
0: it. Yeah, Tim Richmond, great right guy. I like Tim Richmond. I like talking about nineteen eighty six and the drivers were Rob Kevin Cogan. Um, excuse me. Uh, I, I, I don't know what
2: happened there.
0: I have a little tick wherever I Bring up '86, talking about drivers being robbed, namely Kevin COVID from a certain Indy 500. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know if this one counts because it, it's not like it's a special paid scheme. It's actually more of a. It was like a throwback, but before like throwbacks were a thing.
2: Yeah. Or before it could even be considered old enough to be a throwback. Yeah. But when I was, I don't know why, I don't know why eight-year-old me loved this, and, and now twenty-four-year-old me still loves
0: this. Don't know why. Um. But, uh, you know, I loved uh, when Jeff Gordon drove uh, his Rainbow Warriors car in the 2004 All Star Race. Um, now, this was, it was just a cool thing because you weren't used to seeing that. You had, you had had at the time like four years to get used to the Flames. And everybody had really started to like the Flames. And so the Flames were kind of more popular. They, were, they had started becoming more popular, Jeff Gordon Pinski. But, you know,
2: me being
0: so obsessed with my childhood as a child, uh, I love the, the Rainbow Warriors paint scheme. So when he drove this in that All Star race, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I got the documents done because that's how cool I thought it was. Plus, it was just neat because it was like, oh my gosh, it's a Rainbow Warriors paint scheme that's all up today. It's a 2004 Monte Carlo. It's got an X Cup stickers on it. It was like a fictional or something. You know, I was like, this car doesn't actually exist, but it was. It did exist. It did drive in the All Star race. Um, and it was like I said, it was the exact same car that he drove in the year two thousand. Except it was on a modern line car, so it didn't have the most beautiful. It wasn't on the most beautiful
2: chassis of it, of of the of the decade. Uh, But uh, you know, it it was definitely uh, out there uh, in two thousand four. He was involved in a crash, but left twelve. Uh, I
0: remember this because I actually have like pictures and video of this crash stills pushed away somewhere. Yeah. And uh but he ended up and he finished sixth and after repairing the car. Uh you know, he wasn't in contention to win the race at all, but you know, hey, finishing sixth this is not bad. I know it's a non-points race, but
1: Finish P six. Yeah, finish P six. I mean you're with the perfect. I mean you're in the all-star yeah. race. You're with the best of the best kind of deal, and P six isn't bad. And O four was a great year and one that us Jeff Gordon fans cite as a missing ring. Probably, hmm. probably. He, had, he oh, scored probably the most points know. that year. Yeah, I I, I know. I mean, as, as a Casey King fan, I never knew what it was like to like miss out on a championship. <laughs> but I can tell. I, I, I know that uh, Gordon
0: definitely. Uh, well, there's a lot of people who think Gordon, Gordon should could have should have won a few more seasons. Even 2015, a lot of people believe that Gordon could have won
2: in 2015
0: too. So yeah. anyway, let's go ahead and come on here to talk about this week's winners. Uh, because there wasn't, you know, we, we've only had really, like, two officially sanctioned events, I guess you could, you could say. Uh, Wednesday night, I racing. you saw a lot of flags. I love seeing that. We're both fuchers. Uh So I love seeing that. Uh, in, in the 10-hat lap, heat race number one. Oh, by the way, uh, this was uh, a,
1: a, a dirt race. Chili Bowl special. Way, Chili Bowl special. It took place at the virtual Chili Bowl. So I was really excited.
0: Really neat because uh, they did a lot of odd boards with uh, different drivers trying to see how they were racing. It was pretty pretty neat uh, little event. But anyway, so in the uh, first 10 lap heat race, Logan CD won. Uh, second 10 lap heat race was run by Dace personally. Uh, 10 lap heat race number three was run by Christopher Bell. Uh, 10 lap D main was run by David Gravel. C main was run by Tyler Courtney, uh, which, boy, probably made a lot of people here in Indiana happy if they watched it. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, I mean, seriously, go to a dirt race in Indiana, and if Tyler Courtney's in there, it, it I'm not saying it's comparable to Dale Jr. leading in Talladega, or Tony Kanaan leading in Indianapolis, but the crowd roar is close. And it's
1: about like the new Dave Darland.
0: Low. Yeah, Dave Darland, too. Well, yeah, Dave Darland was in the uh, BC 39 uh think uh, last year, and he still got a large number of reactions from some of the older fans. Um, so I, I know a lot of older fans that are still like, and I, I don't say that like it's not. It's just like, you know, adults, I should say, where you're stuff, whereas a bunch of kids were going around and time court. So yeah. you can kind of see the, uh, the generational divide there. Uh, so anyway, Chase won wins the uh, 20 Let B main, and uh, Buddy Kofoid, Chase Briscoe, Kevin Thomas Jr., Jake Newman. Uh, they all uh, advances to the A main. Then we had a 55-lap A main that was won by Jason Kersley. Uh Friday Night Thunder from the Virtual Martinsville Speedway. Uh, time and Jeske won that race. He led 124 of 125 laps. So he really dominated the field with them quite, quite, quite well. Um, in the World of Outlaws, NOS Energy Sprint Car Series, from Knoxville Raceway, uh, that was also run on iRacing, of course. David, Crowley That was not that, run
1: by iRacing. That was, an ag- that was a real one. That was a real one. Back to return to racing. Boy, I
0: messed that one up then. You're right. You're right. I was totally forgetting that. I forgot about it. I was like, oh, on Friday, I was like, I was going to buy that because Casey Kang was racing in it. And then it completely slipped my mind. And then I just completely forgot about it. So, okay. Take two on that one. <laughs> World of Outlaws, Knoxville Raceway. The actual Knoxville Raceway was run by David Gravel in an actual race. Thank you. Um, and then finally, the Enescar iRacing Pro Invitational Series from the Virtual North, North Wilkes-Pro. I should have just read it. You have it right here. It says virtual right in front of it. And when I should have noticed it, it didn't say virtual. in front from the Raceway. I probably should have figured that out. Enescar iRacing Pro Invitational Series from Virtual North Wilkes-Pro Speedway was won by Denny Hamlin. So let's go over some of our top takeaways. Uh, especially, we're going to just go ahead and start talking about the e race. Because that's really the race that I think both Josh and I watched. Um, I did watch the uh, Wednesday night iRacing at the Chili Bowl, uh, but I didn't pay as much attention to it as maybe I should have. I was kind of in and out forth, a couple of things, um, but uh, for but I did watch the full North Wilkesboro race. Uh, so the year the, uh, I, that iRacing chose to recreate North Wilkesboro was 1987. Um, I kind of personally would have preferred them to keep it in 1996, like or, or at least like updated it. But I understand why they did what they did, and I'm not as upset about it. I mean, it still looked they, pretty. It still looked beautiful.
1: It still looked beautiful, but the good thing is they can still go back and recreate the 1996 track. That's
0: true. They can't. So I understand they why they At did least that. this one first. Yeah. I mean, and, then, and that's a fine thing. So as some grandstands that existed in 1996 and the expanded pit road are not actually present in this build. Uh, pit road in 1987 didn't have a pit ball separating pit box from pit crew, and that's how iRacing recreated the track. So, this race was a 160 lap event with an estimated fuel mileage of 115 to 160 laps. And a tire run that was about 110 to 120 laps. But during every caution, everyone came down uh, the old fashioned pit road for tires. Uh, the preferred leg was a second leg up as, had, as the drive off was better, which is, yeah, I, I could kind of agree with that. But I'm still a guy who, when I drive, the road, it's, Maybe it's because I don't drive. An accurate recreation of North Wilkesboro, but I tend to stay at the bottom a little bit less in in North Wilkesboro. But I I did see, you know, drivers running that high line. I mean, it's 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 something you can do if your car is handling well enough. If your tires are falling off really hard, it's not an easy thing to do. If your car is handling well enough, you you can make it. You can make it work. Make some moves on the outside. It's just not exactly an easy thing to do. the curb on the inside of the corners causes multiple near accidents, and a few accidents, drivers hit that curb and went uh, sent straight up into the upper lanes. Yeah, that's also avoid it's like Martinsville—you know, you don't want to hit that curb at Martinsville, but you also don't want to hit it at Wilkesboro. And uh, I, I, when I was a kid, really, I always like arced the ankle in and just to hit the curb at Martinsville, and I realized just how, to, how much that was destroying the actual car, it's upsetting the car, making me slower. And uh, definitely, guys. You know, it's so hard not to because you're on a road course. The apex of the turn is on the curb, so you kind of aim for it. But when you're on an oval; you almost always have to avoid it and and time your apex so that you're just barely missing it mm-hmm. while you're letting the car roll through the turn. So it's kind of interesting to see that. Um, the realism continued with
2: how the cars looked on track. The drivers drove the track just like the drivers from the past did. Uh, some interesting uh, and a few new faces were in the race. It was Martin
0: Truex Jr.'s debut in the Pro Invitational Series. He qualified 14th but finished 20th in his usual number 19 Toyota. Uh, John Wood, who hasn't made a NASCAR start since 2008, made, a pro, made his Pro Invitational Series debut in the number 21 Wood Brothers Ford in place of Matt Unfortunately for drivers with experience on the real North Cokesboro, uh it did really pan out, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, Jeff Gordon qualified 23rd and ended up finishing 18th. Bobby Labonte, who drove the number 18 Interstate Batteries Toyota, started 16th and finished 19th. Dale Earnhardt Jr. drove a late model at North Wilkesboro back in the day. Uh, but So he drove kind of like a throwback to that, which was kind of neat to see. He ran up front the majority of the race, but was turned by Brennan Poole late and finished 15th. And that actually bothered me close because I felt Dale Jr. was one of the guys. That I was like, all right, he's in position to maybe do this thing. Yeah. He, could, he yeah. could play the spoiler here. Mm-hmm. Um Ross Chastain led late, but Denny Hamlin, who had fresh tires, got to his bumper with nine to go, took the lead, and eventually won that race. So, Josh, what was your favorite part of Saturday's virtual North Wilkesboro race?
1: Well, for me, you know, I enjoyed the race. It was just cool to see. My favorite part was, like, I watched a live race at North Wilkesboro Speedway, all but virtually, unfold. Yeah. I watched a lot of... Uh, former races at North Wilkesboro, the trucks I watched both the truck races there. That happened in 1995, 1996. And I've watched old cup races. And those are cool to watch. Those are very cool to watch. But when you get to see a track unfold like this week, no, no one's raced there, you know, all but a small revival attempt about 10 years ago. But I haven't, I haven't watched those races. I don't know if there's even. You know,
0: actually ran in that race.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. I was just
0: about to say, okay,
1: you read my mind. or you just do that back on you I just knew that fact already. Okay. <laughs> I just knew it already. You, you knew but, the pros it. Yeah. So, but it's just me, it's my favorite memory is seeing and actually unfold live on television. And um, I think that was what I take away the most. iRacing did a fantastic job recreating this track. You know, I've said it multiple times, but thanks to, to Dale Jr. and Steve Myers going out there. And in, in putting this together, uh, the Marcus Smith and, and and his group at Speedway Motorsports for allowing it to people to go in there and and do what they needed to do to virtually preserve this track, and it will be there for future generations. If they wanted to, they could go out there and probably make a dirt version of this like it was back in the day, and they have the ability because they scanned the track as it is now, and that's how it was in 1996. They will, I'm sure down the road, they will release a 1996 version of this track. You know, you can race as it was the last race there in September, um, what Jeff Gordon won. And that to me is, is very cool. I think about, you know, I, I, I haven't had the opportunity to you know kind of going on a ramble here and now I'm splintering away from North Wilkesboro, but I've all, I want to see somebody recreate tracks that we can't scan like an Ontario, a Riverside. I almost think it, 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 it is. I mean, it, if it's not too late, like next week, it's too late to scan Nazareth, all right, to even try to get anything from Nazareth out there. I want to race Nazareth because that was a fun track, and and there's other tracks out there too that we can't scan because they no longer exist. And here, Dale Junior, Steve Meyer, they did, they 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 preserved this for future generations. So thank you to them, and I can't wait to race on it myself. You know, Rob, what what was your what was your takeaway?
0: Well, I loved it, too. I think that, you know, seeing North Wilkesboro, seeing a race at a track like that, I, I echo a lot of your feelings. You know, I think that this is not only was this a great opportunity for NASCAR to celebrate its history while not, you know, well, you know, kind of acknowledging the fact that this kind of a track that was kind of done wrong. You know, I think a lot of people were familiar with how Wilkesboro
2: lost its dates the NASCAR schedule and how wilkes becoming the unfortunate abandoned track that it is now you know it, it was definitely done wrong you know and and now it seems kind of like it's
0: all for naught because it was it was lost so that Texas and New Hampshire could have a date now New Hampshire doesn't even have that date anymore. uh so you know at, the, at some point you know you can look at that and say well that's kind of crummy that's not fair but it's great to see Drivers and and broadcasters and media and everybody just embracing North Wilkes growth because I feel like it's we see these tracks we talk about these tracks let me talk about what Chicago is, like that. nobody wants to see tracks go away that's the, that's the thing nobody wants to see tracks go away and I think when you have this this tool where you can recreate a racetrack and let it live on in a virtual world it might not have been it might not be financially capable of hosting another race again. But to see the track be recreated in a virtual setting, and you know, I'd I like to see, um, and this this might be a, a niche kind of thing, but I'd I like to see, you know, iRacing go in there and take some liberties and, and maybe show us what it might look like had it had it not fulfilled the, its, its, its fate. You know, see, show us what it would be like if NASCAR never stopped going. You know, make a 20th, that'd
1: be interesting. That'd be interesting. Version
0: of it. Uh, you know, put some safer barriers on it, what it would like, you know, repave it it, or something, you know, do, do stuff like that. Um, you know, show us really what, what Wilkesboro could have been. Put some newer, fresher grandstands in there. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you know, maybe not saying, I'm not saying make it like a big Bristol, but you could encompass it with grandstands if you wanted to.
1: I have um, a, not to interrupt you, but I have saved on my tablet I can't, I can't tell you who created it, but someone created like updated versions of different tracks in North mm-hmm. Wilkesboro was one of them. like a map outline and it kind of looks like a football stadium.
2: Yeah. I and, mean.
1: um, it's got like two tier stands on the sides and it's, it's a 2d, it's not a 3d, but it, it makes you think what could have been, you know, mm-hmm. here's what North Wilkesboro could have been with, you know, 45,000 grand stands in a modern setting. And like, like you look like what you're describing. Um, I might share that picture. I don't. I don't know uh, um, I, if I can find credit or not to it. But yeah, like you said, like if you could take the liberties to make a North wilkes Wilkesboro 2020, that would be very cool to see.
0: It would be even greater to see it. You know, maybe appear on like official NASCAR, like Coca Cola iRacing Series schedule.
1: Now you, know, you could actually
0: cool. put it on there, and you know, really give the fans what they want. You know, you want to see a, you want to see cars return racing return to an old track. Well, you know, it might not be possible to do it in real life well, we, can, a, we can give you the next best thing which is we've got a virtual recreation of this racetrack and we've got drivers that are driving this racetrack uh just just like it would normally you would normally drive it you know i think about a lot a of lot those racetracks but what could have been i think about ontario specifically and riverside too just you know two of those southern california tracks that probably uh or not north of southern california but two california tracks ontario was riverside i think it was
1: uh, yeah they both were they both were in they oh, were, were, they're were, L.A., kind of, both L.A.
0: Both L.A. Area. I couldn't remember specifically where Riverside was located, but um, but I do know specifically, like, I can find on a map
1: where
0: where Ontario used to stand. Like, yeah, if, can, if somebody shows me that, um, that area, I, I can find the specific. Because the way it, it but, but it's odd because the way Ontario was compared to where they built, like, highways and different roads, It's it's... It's not the same, like you, you could kind of see an outline of it if you squint real hard, but you can't really see it all the way. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I thought. I thought it was really cool when comic books grow back, and I think that that's something that I would like to see. Like you said, with, you know, take, go out there and try and try and save NASA or something, you know. Go out there and maybe scan Pike's Peak or something. Um, go out there and, and try and find other tracks that might have been uh, completely forgotten. Or, or even just smaller tracks. You know, I don't know what iRacing's budget is when it comes to scanning, but I'm sure there's a lot of opportunities that they have out there to to maybe keep keep putting out new race tracks in the future. So
1: I forget which. I mean, not to promote someone else's podcast, which is fine. <laughs> but Dale Junior, I believe it was on the which would be last week's one here when he talks with uh Steve Phelps, um it's a 55 minute episode but i believe at the end of the episode they talk about north Wilkesboro, and i think he mentioned how much it costs to scan a track and it's not cheap i mean it's not i cheap I, to I, I, I didn't think it would be yeah but but still i mean like like you said if they could go out there and and i think junior's got nashville people are, people are do, getting nashville uh will be getting that track soon and i forget the other track hickory hickory's another one that yeah. will be on there soon too so uh junior's been a great Promoter and an influencer for iRacing, and uh, you know, yeah, just if we could get more tracks scanned before they're too too far gone, um, to let them live in the virtual world is a great thing.
0: And I absolutely agree. So I think uh, we should probably put a pin on that real quick here and get into the outstanding performance. because uh, there we we've got a couple of outstanding performances. We're going to keep them a little bit short because there wasn't a whole ton of racing today uh, over the weekend and over the week. So, Josh. Go ahead and give us uh, your
1: first, your outstanding performance. I got to give it up to the RCR boys this week. You know, they both, not only did they both adorn Wrangler colors, um, which were pretty cool. Those are always good looking cards. I don't care what the sponsor is. you always (laughs) look good in Wrangler colors. Um, But they both rallied to a third and fifth place respectively after both being involved in early incidents. Like I think both were sideways and had hit the wall at one point or another. Mm -hmm. And they both pulled out of their hat. Where did they come from? They channeled their <laughs> inner Kevin Harvick and like, hold on, weren't they both just running like twenty second and twenty third a second ago? And now they're up here in the top five with two laps to go. What's going on here? So you know, props to them. Uh, good result by both those guys in the uh, final Pro Invitational Series event. So good for them.
0: Go ahead and pick mine. I had a good time watching Dale Earnhardt Jr. run up front most of the race. Uh, and I think really, you know, a lot of people talk about who's the best iRacing drivers, who's the best drivers. you know, Sidney Hill gets a lot of call, William Black gets a lot of call, Denny Hamlin, rightfully so. Uh, but I think Dale Jr. should be considered right up there, because, you know, he's been doing this uh, since it, since NR2003 came out, since before iRacing even existed. You know, he's been doing this, so has Denny Hamlin, of course. I mean, Denny Hamlin famously used NR2003 to learn Pocono, and that's how both races in here, which back in the day was completely it was completely possible. I mean, you could learn how to drive track and then go out there put set up, put it setup on the car and just go do it because it was so similar back in the day. Uh, not so much now, but you know, it's hard not for me to give it to
2: Hamlin because I want to because I feel like he deserves it. because of how well he ran, but yeah. I
0: think Junior didn't get his fair shake at at the finish after having run up front for as long as he did. I mean, he was up there almost the majority of the race and then it wasn't until like the last you know few laps or so when he got turned. So really I I am gonna give it to Dale Jr. Even he didn't have a good finish. I'm still giving it to him because I think he was right there in contention, he never put a nose wrong all day, did everything he needed to do, he probably could have won the race when it came down to it. So um I'm giving Mike to Dale and junior. And then I think we should move on to our up and downshift. Uh, let's go over the rules real quick. It's uh, one of our most popular uh, segments, I think. We're making that up. I don't know if it's popular. I'm making it up. Uh, the idea is we're presented with a series of hypothetical questions or statements. Josh and I will either upshift, meaning we agree, or downshift, meaning disagree, and then state why we made that decision. So the first question on the day is current driver from Hendrick Motorsports and team at Penske did not participate in the virtual race at North holksboro Speedway on Saturday. Instead, they elected to concentrate on the upcoming races at Darlington Raceway. Do you upshift or downshift on this uh, decision, by teams?
1: I got a downshift. I mean, this is a pretty big deal, and you had in in you know you had both. I can't remember now if Eric Jones is in there in the race. That's how forgettable he he was in this i racing <laughs> endeavor. Oh dear. But I mean you had at least three guys from, from Joe Gibbs racing and a and a fourth former driver. Um you had all the guys from Stuart Haas racing. So, you know, the other, you know, two powerhouse teams were there. And you weren't. And and plus also I think it was I think it was a cheating for the fans. For your fans of those seven drivers, and for the fans, if if Austin well, Austin Singer can have been in it because of for the Cup series only. Um but for those seven drivers, their fan bases were cheated. I think I understand, but I also think it's kind of like, what are you really going to gain, you know from Con? You can't test, and I don't know what the simulator deals are open, but I don't know. I got to downshift them not participating in this historical event. Let's be honest with. you, you know i I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think
2: you're 100 percent
0: right I'm downshifting, but at the same time, I think hindsight's 2020, and we'll see what happens this sudden. Yeah. And ultimately, if it turns out that Penske and Hendrick are the two cars that come right out of the gateway more prepared than everybody else, great. But if that's not the case and they just end up being the way they were prior to the end of the prior to the season's hiatus, then it doesn't really seem like to me it, it mattered. You know, if yeah. Denny Hamlin goes out there and wins the race, it really didn't matter because he won the race at it, 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 it wilkes and now he's, if he wins the race on Sunday, it's like it. Really won't matter. So, you know, I and plus, why would you not want your drivers to your seat time in preparation for a race? I know it's two to totally different race tracks, Wilkesboro, Darlington. I know it's completely different. But why would you not want your driver at least in in a simulator, keeping him fresh? You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe William Byron is running and everybody else is running simulators at Darlington. But I would still think you would want your drivers to be participating in a, in some kind of race, not just a simulator, but at any race with your fellow competitors. To get more of an idea and uh, to keep yourself fresh and what's going on, so you know, like you said, I get it. I understand where they're coming from, but it just seems like such a wasted opportunity, It just seems like kind of a move that was kind of made. Like, and eh, we're not going to do this. We're we're going to just focus on this next race. It just doesn't seem like it was a, an idea that was they were really committed to. So. Uh, next question here. IndyCar will have practice and qualified for the race Texas Motor Speedway, all of which will take place on one day. Do you upshift or downshift? This move by IndyCar.
1: Uh, part of me wants to upshift. Part of me wants to downshift. So maybe I just broke the shifter. I don't know. Don't do that. Don't break the shifter. You can- yeah, I got, <laughs> I got. I got. I got three more gears to shift here. Um, you know. Eh, I don't know. I think it's a little too much activity. I think as much as we want to see, like just a 30 minute session for people to get out there, warm up the engines, make sure that nothing's wrong and then go race and then set the qual you know, the lineup based off of your quick time during that session. I don't know. Just as little less track activity as possible, I think is a smart move. But I I mean, I don't know. I'm not the guy making the decisions on that one. So I, I don't know. Downshift, just, a shit, just one gear.
0: You know, I mean, I, 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 I see comfort, but I'm actually going to upshift because I think it's a good idea overall. You know, first and foremost, what you want to do is you're going to have a night race, right? So what you're going to have to do here, is, and the problem is, if you're going to practice qualifying during the day, you want everybody to be. Kind of in the same boat, where they don't know what their car is going to do, or have, or they kind of have a vague idea of what the car is going to do when the sun goes down. You know, I think if everybody's in the same boat there, I think it might be a little bit more of an entertaining race. Plus, we kind of show you're putting on, you're not going to have any fans, so what you really, I mean, who cares? You know, who's going to be? Well, you're not selling tickets to a support race, you're not selling tickets to practice or qualifying days. You know, why not just get it all done, get it all over with, and then have as least you know, like you said, have a the least amount of track time so you could get in, get out, you know, get the race done without you know endangering anybody or you know putting anybody at, at unnecessary risk for catching COVID-19, whatever. You know, you don't want to do that. So I'm shifting, I understand where you're coming from, but personally I'm gonna go ahead and upshift. Uh and then slide right on into the next question. Um NASCAR expanded the field for both the NASCAR Xfinity Series and the Truck Series to help secure the future for both divisions and their teams. Do you know, upshift and downshift on this move by NASCAR?
1: I upshift. I mean, this is very. This is not a move I expected at all. At all, did I expect them to say, "Hey, we're going to allow 40 trucks out there"? I mean, did not expect that. So, um, I. I don't know. I, I. I love the idea. I think it's good. Everyone's going to get purse money. Um, It doesn't harm, you know, when you, I'm sure there's like a, you know, when you look at the strategy of a season and, you know, as a truck driver, I finished 32nd in all the races, I'm going to get, what is that? 215 points. I think 250 points, you're not going to get a whole lot, but I know if we're average finish here, I think this is what we need to get to get into the playoffs. It's not going to be affected if you finish 40th, because you're going to get the same five points as if you finish last in any other normal race. Um, so I like the move. It gives teams money. You know, you don't have to worry about qualifying or practicing at the moment. It's just show up and race and don't crash a truck and earn money. That's all you got to do, you know, so that's good. Um, I saw where, you know, Natalie Decker was added to a race where she wasn't supposed to be in, and I'm sure this is because hey, we got eight extra slots to fill. I'll get you another truck, Natalie said. Said Alanis, and and you know that's also more money for him. You know that's more money for his team. You're not spending money on tires, uh, or for practice and stuff. You're probably spending less one less set, maybe two less sets. So I applaud this move by NASCAR. Because um, I'm sure that was also a difficult decision based off of the financial situations out there. Um, So, good move. I like it. Upshift, upshift, upshift. I disagree with you. I think it is a
0: very good move. I'm happy to see it personally. Uh, it personally makes me very happy to see, it. Like, see I don't you
2: know, like I, mean, I don't really see how I'm going to do it. I mean, if you're
0: going to have quality, if you're not going to have quality, you're not going to have practice. You can't send people home if they haven't qualified just because they they don't have owner's points or whatever. I mean, that's just, you have to be financially viable in a time where, you know, everything is, everything is moving, you know, in in the economy. And everybody's money, nobody knows where money's going to be, if it's going to be here today or tomorrow or next week, you know, you have to, you have to give the team some kind of stability. And I really think NASCAR nailed that here, like giving those teams some more stability and saying, all right, nobody has to worry about failing to qualify. Nobody has to worry about missing a race. Nobody, as long as you show up, you can collect your prize money, you can fulfill your contractual obligations, you can make sure that everything gets worked out perfectly. I think it's a great move for them personally. You know, I understand adding extra cars and trucks to the field, who knows if they'll even be competitive, but personally, I just don't see this as a, as a bad, like this is the best move that NASCAR could have made uh, in the wake of this situation. So uh, next one, Josh, told us about the news surrounding Chicagoland Speedway, possibly Auto Club Speedway, and how their futures are possibly in doubt. Uh, do you upshift or downshift that Chicago and Los Angeles are important markets for NASCAR? to it?
1: I up, yeah, they're both very important. I upshift. You know, Auto Club gives is our ticket into Hollywood. We usually see that race as the, when would the stars come out? You know, there's always someone who like, I didn't know these people existed, but they're popular with somebody. (laughs) Um, And they're out there. Um, Like Bubba Wallace had, I forget the group he had out there. The other, I think it was last year. But that's our ticket to Hollywood. You know, it's a long ways from Hollywood, but you can't build a track in downtown Los Angeles. So it's a great, it's a great market to be in. In Chicago is, I think it's important too. Um, you know, I, I've always felt like sometimes I feel like there's maybe an oversaturation of race, but nonetheless, Chicago is the third largest metropolitan area in this country. We should have a race there. So, um, I do find that they are both important to NASCAR. Uh, now who races there? I don't know. Um, but we have two great tracks there. Hopefully we can both see races there for years to come. Uh, shift.
0: Well, you know, I can't argue with that at all. I think that NASCAR really needs to do everything in their power to prevent anything happening to Chicagoland or Monoclon Speedway. Not only because those tracks are in important markets, but also because they put on important races. They've held important in historical races. And NASCAR needs to be focusing on their current markets and not abandoning trying to, you know, like look, we've been there, we've been here, we've done this before. All right. When NASCAR in 2004 they made this big announcement that they were going to go and try and get into bigger markets. What happened at that point? NASCAR has been on a downturn ever since. Okay, NASCAR has been a downturn ever since. Don't repeat history. I mean, I know history repeats itself, but we have to learn from history and at least try and prevent that from happening in this case. I mean, if we can't lose Chicago and Ottawa now, honestly, I'm not saying we will lose them because all you know, most of the information that I'm reading leads me to believe that the likelihood these tracks are going away in the near future is very slim, but the likelihood is still there. It is still there. It's still a possibility that it would be a big, big shame to lose both of those tracks, having had such great races, memorable races there, both of them. I mean, it doesn't matter, stock are or an IndyCar, car, doesn't matter. If you think about I can think about a ton of stock of car races at, at, at California that were some of the best races of all time, either being in the CART or the IRL. The IRL put on the best races ever at Chicagoland. It, Chicagoland currently is the current location for the closest finish in the car racing history.
2: That's and a couple that's of you, them.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it holds the closest.
2: I know it holds the one, but there's um, one there. And, and, you know, you can't lose that piece of history. You just
0: can't do it. And especially you look at what how much history NASCAR has written there. You can't lose that either. You, I mean, I understand the fans have essentially stopped showing up there. But, you know, at the same time, who's to blame? NASCAR. You've been moving Chicago land around all the time for the past several years. It's never – it's not in a – consistent date, you move it almost every few years, you can't be doing that, and expect crowds to return. I mean, we've seen this so many times with racetracks on the IndyCar schedule, they move the race dates all the time, and then fans don't show up because they don't know when the race is. They expect the race to be, you know, at one point in the year, and then it goes to a totally different point. They might not be able to go to that race, when they would have been able to go to it much later on in the year, you know. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. We can't be repeating ourselves in those situations, so... I think uh, we—they are important markets for NASCAR to be in, and they can't do something stupid like go to a, a street course and abandon these, these fine uh, facilities that they have in Chicagoland and Osprey Club Speedway. So let's go on to the final upshift and downshift question before we jump into what I'm excited to talk about. Uh, unless a championship can be won in 2020, the Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari marriage
2: will yield no championships.
0: What do you
2: what do you think, Josh? Can you upshift
1: or downshift on this being a possibility? I don't I don't think my gear shift will go upshift. Uh, you gotta downshift. It is uh, this is a this is a marriage that should have yielded a, a world championship to you. I know it was going, know, he's going up against the juggernaut of Mercedes at the time and Lewis Hamilton, who arguably is the greatest driver to ever get behind the wheel of a of a Formula One car. Um can't argue that anymore. Yeah, but uh, you you had to at least contend better, at the very least. And they didn't. I just don't think they did. Um, now, things could be different this year. You know, we haven't seen F1 cars on track yet. Hopefully, in about two months, we'll, we would have had a race or two in. Um, but, uh, yeah, if he doesn't win championship this year, you can't label this any other way. The Vettel Ferrari marriage would be a failure. It, okay. it, w- it would be a failure.
0: You know, Ferrari just, I mean, I thought Vettel gave there. I was like, all right, match made heaven, right? I mean, at first, I'll be, I'll be honest, at first, I was like, well, Ferrari's not much better at right Red now. That was back in 2014 when Mercedes won all the two races. Um, so I really thought at that point, all right, Vettel's going somewhere else because Reno engine is terrible. I get it, complain. He wants to go to Ferrari. He wants to be like Michael Schumacher. Okay, don't blame him. I get it. But now, as I think, Ferrari had plenty of time to show Vettel and give Vettel the car
2: that yep. was capable of producing a win and a championship, or wins and championships.
0: And the fact of the matter is, they let Vettel down as much as they let Alonso down. Well, yeah. I mean, they let Alonso down big time when Alonso came over to Ferrari. And they've let uh Vettel down now too.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, they it, better not let down. The yeah. They better not let down Leclerc. And they better not let down whoever
0: whoever they pick up. with I mean, I've, I've I've heard that it's probably going to be Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz is the one that's being linked to him right now, more so than Daddy Rick. But I am still of the firm belief that if Ferrari does not have a car that can compete with Mercedes this year, this is probably actually the best career move for Sebastian Vettel because. All all of it, all of this marriage has shown me is that Ferrari is capable of is, is not going to compete with Mercedes at They're going to grab these big drivers. I mean, you have for Sebastian Vettel and Kitty Räikkönen, you should have yielded more wins. Mm-hmm. Raikkonen should have had more than one win. Vettel should have had more than however many wins he I don't know. I think it was probably,
1: I think he's got fourteen right now.
0: Yeah, fourteen wins or something. He should have won way more than that. I mean, he should have won. He should have been a consistent threat to the Mercedes dominance. Him and Reichen and Bolt, and him and Leclerc Bolt last year. Both should have been threats to Mercedes dominance. They weren't. They
2: flat out weren't. I think, in all honesty, if Vettel, which I'm hearing
0: is maybe, 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 maybe a possibility. If Vettel's going to go back to Red Bull, I think he's in a way better position. Because if he's going to be paired with Max Verstappen, I'm scared. I'm scared of that. I mean the whole rest of the Formula One field should be terrified if Vettel goes back to Red Bull and teams himself up with Verstappen and that hot engine starts competing with the uh, Mercedes. Because it could happen. We've seen Verstappen multiple times outpace Mercedes on talent alone. Vettel can probably do the same thing. And I'm not I mean he's done it in the Ferrari, but I think he could probably do it in the Red Bull again too, so that's where I'm going with this. I'm going, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm going with that. Um, and now, now I think it's time for what I've been waiting for this whole time.
2: I've been waiting uh, for it too.
0: I, I, put a lot, I put, a, I put a lot of research into this. I've been basically doing research on this all week. So I had this decided, uh, essentially as soon as recording finished up last week, I knew I was going to do this one. I knew I had to leave the 1996 Indy 500 because if you're going to talk about, uh, the Iron cart Split. You're going to talk about races in that time period between 1996 and 2007. You have to, and I mean you have to talk about 1996 first. And now we have to get 1997 out of the way. And I don't say I don't say out of the way as a means of saying, oh, let's just get it over with. I say this as we need to talk about it because it's that important. I mean, it is that much of an important race to tell you the history and the story of how. The IRL and the Indy 500 are where they are today. So let's go right ahead and start uh, and get some background information regarding the part IRL split and the new rules for 1997. So keep in mind we had a year; we're now a year past, uh, We're a year into the split. So the split IRL has already done a whole season-ish. They're about a season and a half. So they've done their three race season that was really really weird, and then now they're doing. The, they've scrapped this whole half-season thing, you know, where they're ending the season in Indianapolis. So this Indianapolis, what i have said, is the last IRL race in 1997. It's actually gonna happen at Las Vegas later in the year. Um, and then they're gonna go back to a calendar-based schedule for 1998. And then they would continue uh, the rest of their time. So one of the biggest changes uh, in the over-the-off season was the introduction of the new IRL chassis, to and. G-Force developed new, cost-effective chassis for use in the IRL. This essentially made it even harder and less likely that car teams would enter the Indianapolis 500. They would have to purchase an all-new chassis engine for use in one race that they weren't even guaranteed to
2: make. So,
0: and not to mention, this is also a situation, I didn't, mean, I didn't write this down, but uh, the US 500 that we talked about in 1986 happened at the same time, on the same day as the Indianapolis 500. Well, that was scrapped. They moved that to a different date, and now they will race it. They raced it gateway on the Saturday before the 500. So that's what CART ended up doing, because the U.S. 500 was just a colossal failure. I mean, it was a huge failure. You, you couldn't even get it on national television. I mean, it was buried on ESPN2. You had a disastrous start. I mean, it was a black eye for CART when the IRL was punching itself in the face and giving it, Two black guys. You know, it, it just looked bad overall, open wheel racing. So we're trying to recover from that about as best we can. Uh, but yeah, you know, we're still a while away from doing that. Uh, speaking of the engines, uh, for the first time since the 1960s, naturally aspirated engines returned to the speedway. The new IRL chassis will be powered by production-based engines provided by Oldsmobile and a Fit Infinity. Turbochargers were no longer permitted in the IRL. The new engines were about 20 to 30 miles an hour slower than the previous year's formula. Uh, they, were also, they were also notoriously much louder and had a roar that was more similar to a NASCAR engine than anything heard at the Speedway in Maine for decades. So if you actually listen to these things, if you watch the 97-500 all the way up through about 2000, when they lowered the displacement of the engine and shifted where the, uh, uh,
2: the exhaust pipes were, um, that actually, th- but this is what the IRL sounded like
0: for a long time. It sounded just like a stock car. It was very loud. It was incredibly loud, probably even louder than a stock car race would be. Um, it
2: was th- These things were loud. So, this was new to the speedway. People were kind of put off by that because they were so
0: used to a loud, high pitched roar and scream of a, of a car uh, race car, a turbocharged engine. And now you have these production based, naturally aspirated engines. Making what sound like sports car sounds going by down on the front stretch at uh, just barely uh, over 215 miles an hour, down from what we were hitting previously, which was you know, you could peak at top up, top uh, speed down about, I go a little bit over 245 if you were lucky down to turn one. So, uh, and then the 25 April was continued for 1996. Once again, 25 spots would be reserved for IRL competitors, leaving eight at large entries to bump their way into the field. However, none of the teams were CARP teams. No CARP team showed up this year for the 1997 Apples 500. There were two in 1996, but none competed in 1997. So, everybody was an IRL team or some team that formed randomly and decided to some, enter in some cars, or they were you know, extra cars that other teams had. You know, It was basically, you were in based on other points. Top 25 points in the IRL, essentially. There were a few notable entries in this 500. Robbie Gordon, who had competed in the final IRL race in 1996 at Las Vegas. Uh, yes, that's what that was. Uh, Robbie Gordon's first Indy Racing League race. He ran what it was essentially a walker racing entry, very similar to a car that he was running in kart time for Walker Racing, uh, and he just decided to go out there and run an IRL race in Las Vegas, and that was actually the first race of the season, technically. So, Robbie Gordon had already run, a, run a race in uh, the IRL the 96-97 season, if that makes any sense to you, because keep in mind, 96, they ran two races in 96, and then they ran the rest of the races in 97. So, the two races run in 1996 were run with the old style of the car, and then the as soon as 1997 rolled around, they went straight into this new Dollar G Force all-wheel infinity combination. Um, so Robbie Gordon, he was in that race, but he was attempting double duty with his NASCAR team owner Felix Sabatis. Gordon would compete both at in Indianapolis and at in Charlotte. Uh, this would be the first double duty entry since John Andretti in 1994, and Gordon would be only the second driver to attempt the feat. So John Andretti attempted it in 1994, and then nobody did it in '95 and '96. Then Ronnie Gordon came back in 97 and was going to attempt double duty again. Also, the king of the outlaws, Steve Kinzer, would enter his only Indianapolis 500 and only IndyCar race, period, uh, with Sinden Racing Services. So we added it out you know, really, the IRL was right right there. They wanted crash race car drivers and, and local dirt track racers. So who else, you know, you could get Tony Stewart. And people are going to come out and see Tony Stewart. But you get Steve Kinzer out there going to get a lot of people who are big fans of uh sprint car racing uh and world outlaws racing come down and see that uh so the events leading up to the race during the month of may were relatively quiet compared to the previous years as mentioned earlier speeds were significantly down compared to previous year's speeds only once did a, any car register a speed
2: over 220 miles an hour on the second day of practice, Ari Leindyke set a speed of two hundred
0: twenty point two seven nine seven miles an hour. No other car would come close to this speed all month. I'm serious. Nobody would even touch two I'm serious. You can look at all the practice cheat charts, all the practice sheets, 97. Only on that first Wednesday of practice does Leindyke go 220. Everyone else behind him, 218 and lower. 218 was basically where you wanted to be. That was a fast play. And it's crazy to think about. Because compared to Ariyan Dyke's uh, speed last year of over 237 miles an hour, we're only topping out at about 200. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a, that's a 20 to 30 mile an hour loss of overall speed at Indianapolis. Um, continuing perils of finding speed, the Infinity engines were notoriously slower than the Oldsmobile engines. Defendant winner Buddy Lazier was initially entered as an Infinity engine, but quickly bailed for an Oldsmobile engine when it became clear they would not be able to accept set an acceptable. speed. So, now you've got only Oldsmobile drivers being able to, to basically pace the race, and all the Infiniti drivers are just essentially also RANS. Most people were dumping for, dumping their Infiniti engines for an Oldsmobile engine, and it was just an uncompetitive battle. The only thing that was probably compa- competitive about the battle was the chassis manufacturer, between Galera and g course, and then the Ferrari and Goodyear. Or not Ferrari, Firestone and Goodyear, excuse me. Um, Arty Linduck would end up on the pole with a speed of 218.263 miles an hour, compared to his record speed that he set one year ago, the track record that still stands uh, of of over 237 miles an hour. This was a big drop in speed, and this would actually mark the end of speed gradually climbing here after here in Indianapolis. Prior to that, the pole speed had gradually gone up. Uh, you know, kind of in a, in not really a uh, direct. Uh, a direct, what's, you know what I mean, like a, making a chart, you know, a direct correlation to go that it up, but it was kind of like stagnant. you know, one year it'd be really, you can set a track record, and the next year someone would be a little bit slower than that, and then maybe a year after that someone else would set a track record, and it would kind of continue. Now, you were, we haven't seen a track record be set since 1996. Um, there was one major controversy in qualifying that led to this race having more than 33 entries for the first time since 1979. Lynn St. James and Johnny Unser, two of the at-large entries, were bumped from the field on bump day, but had set the speeds faster than Paul Durant, the 33rd qualifier, and a clock-in qualifier. As a result, USAC decided to add Unser and St. James to the back of the field as the 34th and 35th qualifiers. So essentially what happened was that 35, the 25-8 rule essentially created what everybody has been afraid of all this time, is drivers who are faster than not than somebody could qualified for not making the race. So you had St. James and Johnny Unser run faster times than Paul Durant. And Paul Durant made the race while Unser and St. James were up. And they were like, well, that's not fair. You guys were faster. You guys were faster all month than this guy. Why are you guys not in the race? Oh, because you're at large entries? Oh, no, we're gonna add you in because that's totally not fair. You guys got screwed by this rule. Um, so with a PR black eye caused by the 25-8 rule, things would get worse when the race was the completely washed out on Sunday. Robbie Gordon would fly to Charlotte before the race was postponed, or he sadly would end up finishing 41st. He would fly back to Indianapolis the next day. However, on Monday, the rains were gained, and only 15 laps would be completed before the race was washed out once again. This meant the 500 would be pushed to Tuesday, which thankfully had a much better weather outlook. Now, this was the first time the race had been postponed multiple days since 1986, when the race was actually postponed an entire week. To rain. Uh, they were actually supposed to race. they were thinking about resuming the race on Tuesday at 86 but ended up completely scrapping that idea and running it nearly a week later. But however,
2: for 97,
0: they ran it on Tuesday. Uh, so by the time the green flag finally flew on uh, this race, I mean, it had flown earlier on Monday, but by the time it would have flown for the uh, time that we, it, the rest of the race would be completed, uh, we already had. Uh cars out of the race. Uh Stefan Gregois, Alfonso Cioffone, Kenny Brack, Sam Schmidt, and Alessandro Zanetti had already dropped out of the race due to crashes or mechanical failures on the two days prior. So like on pace laps, there were crashes, Kenny Brack was involved in one of the crashes, and then a bunch of other cars had mechanical failures. So we've already lost, oh, about uh, what is this? Uh one, two, three, four, five drivers. Five drivers have already dropped out before the race has actually even really started. Um, to make matters worse, however, and this is when the race just starts. The race has just started. We've run about, I we'll say, two so maybe one lap under green. Robbie Gordon gets a jump on the start, and uh, he's he's getting up the second. He was running third, and he was about to pass Ari Leindtke on lap 18, uh, just outside after the race had restarted started on that Tuesday. So Gordon had essentially been ra- waiting to run this race since Sunday. He'd already tried to double, he'd already failed, NASCAR didn't go as well, so he was hoping, you know, he had a faster car than the Indy 500, so he was excited for this, he was going for the lead, until he had to pull off the, off the track, suddenly, going into turn three, he pulls off into the warm-up lane, stops his car, jumps out, and starts rolling around into the ground. Now this is what happened, Robbie Gordon had fuel from the fuel cell leak into his cockpit, and it gave Gordon first and second degree burns. So now, actually, if you watch on the broadcast, you can actually see part of Gordon's driver's suit near his right thigh had uh, been discolored and had essentially been dissolved off. So this had burned a huge chunk in Robbie Gordon's fire suit. Now, the fire suit was still more or less intact, but the, the main felt on the top of the car, on the top of it, had essentially all been burned off entirely. He had first and second degree burns on his thigh and on his hands. Wouldn't enter. He would not re-enter the race, even though he would try to, he didn't actually successfully re-enter the race now the race was largely a battle of attrition again much like 1996 so many cars crashed or had mechanical problems so uh, as a result you really had a race between harry elanda and toby stewart for most of the race those are the two fastest cars those are the two best drivers in the race. buddy lazier was occasionally up there trying to get his crown but you know it, i mean he
2: was doing well he was running up front but just seeing that Lionike and Stewart just had better cars than Lazier that day.
0: Um now as the race came to a conclusion, USAC would make another odd green light finish. So here's, here's really where a lot of the controversy from 97 begins. It, well, there was already a lot of controversy before it, but here's where it kind of creates a boiling point, uh at least for the IRL and for fans and for teams and driving. So three cautions came out in the final eleven laps. The first crack, crash involved Steve Kinzer. And then they throw uh, a caution for that. That didn't last long threw uh, the green flag left next to lap 194. All of a sudden, Buddy Lazier's uh, rearview mirrors flies off, so they throw a debris caution.
2: Well, this debris caution comes out. Uh They get they clear it off, and then they're going to go restart the race. Uh, and as they restart the race on lap 197, Tony Stewart hits the wall just barely,
0: and they throw a the caution again. One lap is completed under yellow. Now, Lion Dyke is rounding off turn four. Stewart's still technically in second because the yellow flew before they took green flag. So Stewart's still in second, right? Uh, Lion Dyke is rounding off turn four. There's no pace car. They're trying to pick up the pace car. Like they were slowing down specifically to pick up the pace car because we're thinking this race is probably going to end under yellow, right? Through a caution on lap 198, it's probably going to end under yellow. No, 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 no! Yusak throws everybody off guard and throws a green and yellow, not green, green and white flag without telling anybody. The caution lights are actually still on. Ariana and I off turn number four, expecting the race to finish under caution, expecting to pick up the pace card, only to see the caution lights still blinking. But up front, in front of him, he sees the flagman waving the green and the white flag. So. The race is restarted. Dyke's caught off guard. He quickly accelerates. All of a sudden, Tony Stewart at second is like, where's he going? And he starts getting past. Everybody starts going past everybody because nobody knows what's going on. The race has been restarted. Nobody is aware that the race is restarted except for Ari Leondyte. The only reason Leondyte knows is because he was the leader and could see the white flags being displayed. So, USAC essentially ends this race for Leondyte by almost stealing it away from him. If Stewart had caught a jump on it, I bet you Stewart would have made a try and probably passed Lightning or given him a, a real big battle. But no, Leinbeck drove away from the rest of the field and ended up winning to race handedly by quite a substantial margin. But Stewart had no chance to catch him. Stewart ended up falling back and finishing fifth. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was just a complete disaster. USAC was on set ice with the IRL at this point. They were like, you guys are going to keep saying." this race. You can't do it. You can't do that. This is like, in a row, you've done something stupid like this one green-yellow, or green white, excuse me. I mean, this is ridiculous. You can't do it. So, and then, by the next race, uh, when they uh, gave the win to Billy Boat at Texas, when Ari Landyke was actually the winner, that was when the IRL told USAC to, you know, your services will no longer be needed here. Thank you. Go go away. We'll, we'll take it from here. We'll score the race here. And, and uh, ever since then, you yeah, haven't seen any crazy things, like a green-white finish, without telling anybody. So, as with the previous race, attrition was a common theme. Only five cars finished on the lead lap, up from the three cars that finished on the lead lap in 1996. Ari Leindyke wins the race, followed by Scott Gutierrez, his teammate. A 1-2 for Rick Treadway's team, Treadway Racing. Do you remember Treadway Racing? Nobody does,
2: except me, for some reason. No, because okay. they ran already, Lime and then disappeared once he retired. Um, seriously, most of the retired after, like, 99. away Racing just kind of disappeared. I mean, he came back, and then RIP Tradeway ran for a little bit, and then they just folded. Right, and they just pulled. They were running with
0: Anthony Lazaro, and then they just pulled. Um, and so, anyway, so the top five, and the only, the top five, which would be the only drivers that would finish on the lead lap were Ari Lednig, Scott Fajir, Rookie of the Year, Jeff Ford, Buddy Luzier, and Tony Stewart. So that is the story about the 1997 Indianapolis 500. It was a it was a crazy race. There was a lot of crazy things that happened. Like um, you can go watch the race for yourself. It's on YouTube. I highly recommend watching it. It's one of those races nobody ever talks about. Nobody ever wants to remember because of how controversial it was. By how ugly some people think the cars looked and sounded, but hey, you know, i like he loves Harry Potter, loves, but he loves Buddy Lazier, loves Tony Stewart. This is one of their best 500s. So uh, for me, it's, a, it's it's very fun to watch. a big fan of Steve Kinzer, uh, Definitely, you could go see him. Uh, unfortunately, he doesn't finish the race, but you know he does. He does make good appearances. He was trying. He, he, I mean, he made it to 11 to go before wrecking. So I mean, I got to give him credit on that. Actually. I take that back because on the restart of the race, the second restart after Robbie Gordon had his problem, he actually ran into the back of somebody. And you know, actually, I'm saying Steve Kinzer. Don't have a better the race. Don't watch it for Steve cancer fans. But
2: anyway, Josh, I, I hope you
0: enjoyed that. I hope you liked it. Let me go check how much time we have, and you could tell me what you thought about.
1: It. Yeah, I mean that's uh that was great. I mean, uh, I mean, I learned stuff. I learned <laughs> stuff last week. I learned stuff this week. I'm not going to learn stuff next week. I mean, you are. You are an IRL encyclopedia, man, and uh, and it's always fun. I bet you you could deliver just as much information from the top of your head. And you didn't have to rewatch the race. That's how much confidence I have in you. So thanks for sharing that. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: I appreciate it. You know, I have a lot of books and I have a lot of uh, old clippings from the IRL that you really gotta find to do this research. You know, and I've compiled it over years and years and years. So I mean, I mean I've taken this. I've been, I've been doing. This stuff like just researching these old irl situations all these old you know the late 90s that's when i grew up was the late 90s early two thousand. um and so when i think about that those eras of indy car racing that was when i grew up a lot of people have very negative feelings about that era whereas for me it's a very nostalgic and warm era which is really weird uh because you know i wasn't old enough to really understand the politics of the whole situation so i've always been just a very big fan. I, want, I, I can't ever get enough information about those drivers. I mean, there's drivers out there that ran five hundred and then never appeared again in another IndyCar car race ever again, and, and there's a lot of drivers out there that are like that. Uh, you know, I think about, when you're talking about last week, we got a race in Garden. ran for team standing in 1.800 and then never ran again, you know? Those are fun stories that you can tell, fun driver names you
2: can tell. I mean, the guy's name was Slip Race and Gardner, and you hardly care about him. Ever enough, ever after, he makes one appearance in Indianapolis. Like,
0: where does this guy go? You can't, you can't tell me you guys let a guy with that kind of name, like, run away. I mean, he was. I mean, I'm not saying he was, like, the next big thing or anything, but you could have at least kept him on for car stuff. I don't know. Let's talk about what's in the windshield before we sign off for today. There are no more planned official e-races with top NASCAR and e- IndyCar drivers, so if you've branched out into the e-racing scene and enjoyed it, the next e-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series will take place on May 26th at the Virtual Atlanta Motor Speedway. On Friday, the World of Outlaws Morton Buildings Light Model Series will return to the track at Boone Speedway. The race will be behind closed doors, but can be viewed on a dirt vision. Uh, NASCAR returns with the Cup Series on Sunday at 3.30 on from Darlington Raceway, that's 3.30 Eastern, if you're listening to us on the West Coast. If you're listening to us from somewhere else, I hope that you're good at time conversions, because I had to be I had to get good at time conversions. I started watching Formula 1 in cricket. Um, all the usual entries are on the preliminary entry list, but the Racing is making a return to the track for the first time since 2017. Uh, they will be running Josh Balicki behind the wheel of the number 7 Chevrolet in uh, good old B.J. McLeod will race in the number 78 Chevrolet for his own team. I didn't know B.J. would had his own cup car. I know he owns his own Indi- uh, Xfinity team, but it's good to see him being able to field his own cup team this year. Yeah. Uh, it was also be the first NASCAR Cup Series race for Matt Kenseth since Homestead in 2018 when he takes over the number 42 for Chip Ganassi. Racing. So, you know, that's it for the today's uh, today's episode of the Racing with Rock Roller podcast. We really, really hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, we had a lot of fun putting it together and uh, talking uh, with you today. Uh, we hope that you uh, learned many things from uh, our experience here and learned about the 97-500 and learned some things you didn't know. Obviously, if you were alive at 97 and had, were conscious, I should say, I was alive at 97, but I was two, So I don't really think I was conscious that. Well, uh, so I don't remember the as well, but I hope that you enjoyed it and learned from it. And uh, with that, for Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Have a good one, everybody.